here in 2 Kings chapter number 4, and following along with the same theme of it being Mother's Day, I wanted to bring a message to you tonight about a godly woman that we find here in this passage. So let's pray, and then we're going to study this woman's life in the service tonight. Father, we love you, and I thank you again for the opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, thank you for the amazing opportunity to open thy word and to preach thy word tonight. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would take control of this service, that you would guide me, may I say, all that I should, and would you withhold from my tongue that which I should not say. And may the Holy Spirit of God do a work in hearts tonight, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have our chapter tonight, 2 Kings 4, we're going to begin in verse number 8. And as we look through the life of this woman, the Bible does not give us her name, simply that she is a Shunammite woman. But I believe that God will allow us to see some things in her life that will be a help to us. I know that I was challenged as I studied uh, making ready for the message tonight. In verse number 8, the Bible says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunam, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. So it was that as oft as he passed by and turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Right off the bat, the Word of God reveals certain things to us about this woman. First of all, we know that she is from Shunem. The Bible says Elisha is passing through this place called Shunem, which would have been a common place for him to pass by as he would often travel to Mount Carmel where he would teach and where he would preach. And he would stop in often on his travels through this area. We see also in verse number 8, the Bible says about this woman that she was a great woman. Now, when you look at what that actually means, you notice the Bible doesn't say that she was a poor woman. She was not a needy woman, not a woman of want. I believe what the Bible is telling us here is that she had a great house. She didn't lack for anything. She was a great woman. And she saw that this man passed by continually. And the Bible says in verse 8, she constrained him to eat bread. So it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And so she had a desire. She saw that this man had a need, and she had a desire to meet this man's need. You know, every good Baptist preacher needs to eat. And so she said, I'm going to invite this man in that we can feed him and make sure he's well taken care of. But I believe in verse number 9, we see something um, that perhaps on the surface we do not see. She says in verse number 9, she tells her husband, Behold, I perceive that this is an holy man of God. Can I submit to you tonight that as we look at the life of this Shunammite woman, this was a woman who knew the Lord. This was a woman of faith. This was a godly woman. And though the passage may not tell us directly that this was a woman who had a relationship with God, I believe we can discern from verse number 9 and from her actions that she truly knew the Lord. Notice with me in verse 9, she tells her husband, Behold, I perceive that this is an holy man of God. My question to you tonight is, she sees this man passing by on a regular basis. How in the world would she know that this was a holy man of God? How in the world would she understand? How could she conceive and see that he truly was God's man? Now, you could make the argument tonight that perhaps she had heard of his fame. Maybe she had heard the fame of Elisha. Maybe uh, she had heard that this was Elijah's protege, his son in the faith, and that he had been given a double portion of Elijah's spirit. 
Maybe she had been told about the miracles that Elisha had performed. But we don't see that in this passage. As she goes to her husband, she doesn't say, I've heard the fame of this man. This is Elisha. This is the man of God. She says to her husband these words, I perceive that this is a holy man of God. She doesn't say, I've heard the fame. She says, I perceive. What is that? There was something within her heart and within her mind that revealed to her that this was a holy man of God. I believe that to be the Holy Spirit of God that impressed on her heart the truth that this was indeed a holy man of God. She had a relationship with the Lord. It was revealed to her who this man was. And so as she comes to her husband and she says, I perceive, that was from her heart, that was from her mind, that was the revealing that God gave to her of who this man was. But notice the second thing here. Not only does the Lord reveal this to her, but I want you to look at the language that she uses to describe this man. She tells her husband, I perceive that it is a holy man of God. You know, this world can recognize a preacher pretty easily. The world can look at a man based off the way he acts, the way he dresses, the way he talks, especially if he's walking around with the Bible and say that he's a preacher. You can spot them. They stand out. They look different. But the way the world would describe a preacher is quite different than a mature Christian would describe a preacher. You see, this world, somebody that's lost may look at somebody that's dressed in a suit, carrying the Bible, going door to door and say, well, that's a preacher, that's a reverend, that's a religious man. But you notice that when this woman says to her husband, this is a holy man of God, she does not tell her husband Well, this is just one of the prophets. This is just some religious man. This is some preacher. Look at the language that she uses. She says, this is a holy man of God. You understand that the world has no concept of the holiness of God. The world doesn't understand what it means to be holy. But she recognizes because she had a relationship with the Lord. She understood to some measure the holiness of God. And she recognized in Elisha that he was a holy man of God. This was God's man. And so I believe that this was a godly woman. This was a woman who knew the Lord. And because she knew the Lord, because she had this relationship with God, there was a desire in her heart to take care of the man of God. She wanted to take care of God's man. She wanted to make sure that his needs were supplied. She saw needs. He was hungry. He needed to eat. She says to her husband in verse number 9 that he passes through continually... She says, I behold, behold, now I perceive this is a holy man of God. He passes by continually. Verse 10, let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. This woman... Because she loved the Lord, because she knew God, because she knew this was God's man, had a desire within her heart to make sure that God's man was taken care of. I believe this woman understood that God's favor and God's blessing always fell upon those who took the time to show kindness and to show favor to the man of God. Can I tell you that when you show favor to God's servants, when you take care of those that have been called out by God, there is a favor that follows in that. There are blessings that follow that, that God gives to those who take care of his servants. I believe that we ought to take care of our pastor. We ought to make sure that he's provided for. I believe every man that comes and ministers to us behind this pulpit, we ought to be careful as Central Baptist Church to take care of that man and meet his needs. 
We ought to take care of our missionaries that we support and make sure that we are showing favor to them, praying for them, providing for them, being there to help minister to them as they're out ministering to those around the world. And there is favor, there is the blessing of God that comes upon those that take care of God's men. And I believe that this woman knew this. And so she had a desire, not only because she loved the Lord, she, because she did that, she wanted to make sure that his servant, his man, was well taken care of. You know, the opposite of that is true as well. Just as much as God rewards and God blesses those who take care of and provide for his servants, the other side of that coin is we find demonstrated throughout the Bible that quick judgment and wrath always follows those that would speak ill against and lift their hand against the Lord's anointed, against the Lord's choice servants. Frank, and I tell you, I, I would think long and hard and I would be very cautious before I would ever speak against or speak ill against one of God's servants. I would think very long and very hard before I would lift up my hand or I would slander a servant of the Lord. You say, well, Pastor Josh, maybe I don't like them. Maybe I don't agree with their personality. Maybe there's something that I don't agree with. I'm telling you, friend, as a warning from the Word of God, I would think long and hard and I would be very cautious before I would slander or speak ill against one of God's servants. You remember that David on several occasions had opportunity to lift his hand and take the life of King Saul, who was nothing but persecuting toward David. And yet David literally was scared to death to lay a finger upon King Saul because he understood that he was the Lord's anointed. There is a warning that we find any time that we would speak ill against God's servants. And I believe that this woman had a desire for her house to be blessed. She wanted to please the Lord. She wanted God to look at her life with favor. And so when she saw an opportunity to serve the Lord, she, she saw an opportunity to minister before the Lord, she took it. She constrained him to come in and eat. When she saw that he passed through continually without a dwelling place, or perhaps he would have to pay money to stay at an inn, she said, this is a need that I can fulfill. We can create for him a prophet's chamber. We can add a room on our house where we can make a bed and a stool and a, and a candle to where he can study as he passes by. And I want you to notice that as we see the godliness of this woman, it's not just that she had a relationship with the Lord. It's not just that she knew God, but her relationship with God entered every part of her life. It was in everything that she did. Notice her reaction with her family. Her relationship with God allowed her relationship in her home to be what it ought to be. Notice that she had the desire to provide for the man of God, but before she did that, in verse number 9, she goes to her husband. And in verse number 10, she says, Let us make a chamber, I pray thee. She had a desire to do something for this man, but before she did it, she made sure to go and ask the blessing of her husband. Later on in the chapter, we're going to find that as she had a need in her life, when she was in grave trouble and grave sorrow, before she went to find the solution that she knew was available, once again, she stops and she asks her husband and says, I pray thee, allow me to go. What is she doing? She's making sure that her role in the family is exactly what God would have for it to be. And even down the road, we find when she does go to her husband a second time, he doesn't fully understand. He questions. He says, well, I'm not really sure why you want to go find the man of God. But nevertheless, because he knows the godly character of his wife, because he trusts in her relationship with God and in her integrity, he gives her favor. He allows her to go and do what her heart desires. 
It's a relationship that is well-pleasing to God. It is the role that God has clearly defined for her. And so her relationship with God is right. Her relationship with her husband is right. Her desire to do something for the man of God is right. She was a godly woman. Notice in verse number 11, the man of God, Elisha, did indeed stop by and stay in the chamber that she had made. It fell on a day that he came thither and he turned into the chamber and lay there. Verse 12, he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. As we continue through this, again, we find that she had a desire to take care of the man of God. She, she did that. She provided an addition to her house for this man to stay, for this man to be taken care of. And Elisha was so grateful. Elisha was so grateful for this woman's kindness, for this woman's care for him, for the favor that she showed him. And God was well pleased with how she ministered to his servant that God sought to reward her for her faith. God was going to bless her for her relationship with him. You know, God seeks to bless our lives. God is in favor of you. God God wants what's best for you. We miss out on God's blessing so often because we fail to be in the relationship we ought to be. We fail in our obedience. We fail to be right with the Lord. But God desired to bless. He rewards faithfulness. He rewards those that take care of His servants. He rewards those that try to live their lives according to the principles of the Word of God. And so God had desired to bless, to reward this woman, and he was going to use his servant Elisha to do it. And so he calls Gehazi, his servant, and says, Bring the Shunammite in and say unto her, How can I repay you? You've been so kind. You've been so good to me. You've shown us such kindness and such favor. How can I repay this favor? And he asks this woman, Would you have me to speak to the king? Would you have me to speak to the captain? He, he was willing to go before the highest authorities on her behalf. He was willing to mention her name to those that had great power and great wealth. He would have her position to be elevated, her house to be elevated. But you notice her response? She simply responds in return, I dwell among mine own people. She wasn't being rude with this response, but rather she told the man of God, I'm content. I've got everything I need. I dwell among mine own people. I don't need to be elevated. I don't need to be spoken of to the king or to the captain. I'm content with what God has given me. I'm content with where God has placed me. I dwell among mine own people. You know, what I find interesting about this woman is she has gone out of her way. She has gone above and beyond to make sure that she was well-pleasing to God. And basically what she tells Elisha in this moment is I don't want anything in return. I'm not looking for a favor. I'm not looking for anything in return. I'm doing this to bring glory to God. I'm doing this because I love the Lord. And so she didn't ask for anything in return. She didn't want anything in return. She was content with what God had given to her. So she says, I dwell among mine own people. Look at verse 14. He said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. 
And he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at the season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. You see, she was content with what she had. She didn't go off seeking favor in return for what she did. You know, so often you and I are guilty of going out and doing something and expecting something in return. And while it's not a bad thing to claim the promises of God, it's not a bad thing to recognize that if I do this, God promises me this. But if our motivation is simply, I'm going to go out and get fame for myself, I'm going to go out and build up my own name and my own reputation, there is a problem with that. Our desire and our goal and our drive, our motivation ought to be to be well-pleasing to God. Our motivation ought to be to glorify God, to allow our lives to be an example and a testimony to where other people look at us, they see the Lord. And so she was content. She tells him, I am content with what I have. But nevertheless, the Lord sought to reward her anyway. The Lord sought to bless this woman regardless because she had unwavering faith, because she was a godly woman. And so he asks his servant, what can I do? How can I repay this woman for her kindness? And the servant reminds him, well, she doesn't have a son. She has no child. And her husband is old. Now, she did not ask for this son. She did not ask for this favor. But because she was in the will of God, because she was in the blessing of God, He sought to reward her anyway. You know, I wonder how many blessings you and I miss out on. I wonder when we get to heaven one of these days and God reveals to us all the things that He desired for us to have, but He could not because we were not where we were supposed to be. And so God sought to reward her. And so Elisha says unto her that she will conceive and bear a son at the appointed time. And verse 17 reveals to us, the woman did conceive. She bare a son at the season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. Can you imagine how this woman must have been feeling at the time? She had gone out of her way to serve the Lord. She'd been doing everything she thought was right. And God is showing her the fruit for her labor. God is showing her favor and reward for her service. And she is blessed with this child, the child of her old age. The Bible says her husband was too old to have a child, similar to Abraham and Sarah and others in the Bible whom God granted the blessings of a child. And now she's looking at this baby boy, the miracle child, the child of her old age. We find that this woman has gone from being a godly woman. Now she is a godly mother. I have no doubt that she raised this child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I have no doubt that she continually would tell her child about the Lord God and seek to teach him the precepts of the Word of God. But we find what takes place next. Between verse 17 and 18, there's a measure of time that elapses. Now, I don't know exactly how much time has passed by between verses 17 and 18, How many years have passed by? But we know that there have been at least several years that have passed by. In verse 17, she bears a child. And in verse 18, the Bible says the child was grown. Now, exactly how old he was, I I really don't know. The Bible tells us that he was old enough to go out on his own to the reapers, to his father, old enough to go to work. But then the next verse says that a lad carries him back to his mother. So um, it's unclear how many years have passed by, but really it's not that important. But I want you to notice in verse 18, 
<coughs> the Bible says, When the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. You know, this, this boy, this, this miracle child, this beloved of his mother was out going to his father to the reapers. And as he goes out, the Bible says that, you know, there's been several years that's passed by. And as he goes out, he begins to complain about his head. Obviously, we know that there was something physical going on with him. We don't know exactly what it may be, but there was something bothering this child. There was a physical need, a physical problem as he complains about his head. Perhaps he had a severe migraine, a severe headache, but there was a physical problem. And he goes to his father and he lets him know that there's something wrong. There's something going on. And like any good dad does, he says, well, take him to his mother. Mom will know what to do. Mom will know how to comfort him. Mom will know what to do, how to take care of the boy. And so a lad comes and carries him to his mother. And in verse 20, the Bible says, When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees until noon and then died. I want you to try to place yourself in the position of this mother, this godly Shunammite woman who became a godly mother. In her old age, God allowed her, God blessed her with a baby boy. God had given to her this great blessing, this great reward because he was rewarding her faith. There's no doubt that she loved this baby boy. This was a miracle. She had thought she was past the age of being able to bear a child. And yet God saw fit to bless her with this child. And now he comes, he comes home. He's complaining of a head. The Bible says that this young boy gets in his mother's lap until noon and then he dies. Now, perhaps the mother had thought within herself, if I can just comfort him to sleep, if I can just comfort him for a little while that he would fall asleep, perhaps everything will be all right. If he could just perhaps take a nap, get some rest, the pain will be gone, he'll be fine. But the Bible says that there in his mother's lap, she watches as he draws his last breath. And suddenly... The blessing that God had given to this woman had been taken away. Her baby boy, whom she loved, she watched as his lifeless body was there in her lap. Can you imagine, as a mother, to lose a child, especially the one whom God had promised to her, the blessing that had been given her, now removed, so quickly removed from her life, her baby boy. The anguish that she must have felt, the pain and the sorrow. And you would imagine that, she might have been overwhelmed. Her heart might have been beating out of her chest with great sorrow and great anguish. You know, she had thought within herself perhaps that her boy was going to grow up to be a strong man, that her boy was going to grow up to lead this house. I mean, after all, she didn't ask for the son. God gave it to her. She was past the age of childbearing. This was a miracle. And yet it was so soon removed from her life. You can imagine what must have been going on in her mind. What would be going on in our minds if it had been our child? And yet, something amazing takes place. I want you to notice how she responds to this. I want you to notice her reaction. In verse number 20, the Bible tells us that the boy dies on her knees. But look what happens in verse 21. And she went up. And laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. You know, I see two things that take place here in this passage, here in this verse. In verse number 21, 
The first thing I see is that through the years, however much time went by between verse 17 and 18, the relationship that she had with the man of God had been maintained. He still passed by on a regular basis. You notice the Bible says in verse 21 that she took the child and laid it on the bed of the man of God. That prophet's chamber was still in use. That man of God was still passing by on a regular basis. She still referred to it as his bed, the man of God's bed. And so he still passed by through all these years. <laughs> she still had a relationship with him. Perhaps he knew this child very well. Perhaps he would stop by and teach him the marvelous things of the Lord God. And I notice a second thing. Here in verse 21, as she looks at the lifeless body of her child, the Bible says immediately she takes the lad up and she lays him on the bed of the man of God and she walks out. Do you notice in verse 21, we do not see recorded in our Bibles that she paused to mourn. She did not pause to make funeral arrangements. She did not pause to call in the family and let them know what had taken place. She was a woman on a mission. She had an unwavering faith. In verse number 22, she calls unto her husband and she said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. He said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Do you see what takes place? Look at the reaction that she had. She literally watched her baby boy die on her lap, die on her knees, her miracle child. And her first instinct, her first reaction, the first thing she does is she scoops him up, takes him to the bed of the man of God, walks out, goes directly to her husband and says, I need to get to the man of God. I need to get to the presence of God. I need to find the man that has power with God. And if I can just get into the presence of God, everything is going to be okay. The Bible says that she didn't tarry. She didn't stop to mourn. She didn't make any arrangements for a funeral. She had complete faith that the God that had rewarded her, the God that had given her this miracle, this blessing, would continue to bless in her life and in her house. The Bible says she didn't tarry, but rather she ran to meet the man of God. I believe that there was a hope within her. To see the lifeless body of her child did not allow her to waver. It did not cause her to stumble. She had faith in God. And she knew that if I can just get to where God is, if I can get into His presence, if I can get to the man that can make a difference in my situation, it's going to be okay. She goes to her husband and says, I pray thee, allow me to take a young man, allow me to take one of the asses and drive and get to where the man of God is. He says, well, why are you doing that? It's not new moon, it's not time. But she says unto him these words, it's going to be well. It's going to be okay. Because she had a hope that if she could just get to the Lord, then everything was going to be okay. You know, I find again, it's interesting that she knew exactly where the man of God was. They didn't have cell phones. She couldn't pick him up or text him or call him and say, Hey, where are you at? I need you. But yet her relationship, her provision, 
of the man of God was so strong and so great. He passed by so often and she had taken such good care of him. She was aware of where he was. She was up to date on his ministry. She knew exactly where to go to find the man of God. In verse number 24, Then she sat on an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is the Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Can you see what's taking place? She's driving. She's getting to the man of God as fast as she can. Elisha sees her in the distance and sends Gehazi, his servant, to meet her. And Gehazi approaches her and asks some very pointed questions. He asks her, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And her answer is, it is well. You think, hold on a minute. No, it's not. It's not okay. Her child is back on the bed dead. Her child is dead. He drew his last breath. It's not okay. The blessing that God had given her had been removed. How could she stand there and say when being asked, is it well with the child? Yeah, it's well. Doesn't make any sense, does it? It was definitely not okay. She was in the middle of a trial. A testing of her faith, a trying of her faith. And yet she answers the servant of Elisha and says, It is well with me. It's well with my husband. It's well with the child. You know, I think there's a few things that are taking place right here in this moment. I believe that the first thing that we see is she truly believed in her heart that if she could just get to the man of God, it would be okay. No matter what was taking place in her life, no matter how difficult the circumstance, no matter how trying the trial may be, she believed, she had a hope that if she could just get to the presence of God, no matter what happened, it would be okay. She believed that. She knew that in the presence of God, everything would be all right. But there's another thing that I see taking place here. Notice that this person that she is speaking with is Gehazi, Elisha's servant. And when he asked the question, she says, it is well. Now, you and I both know it was not well. But she says to the servant, it's well. I want you to notice who she's speaking to. She tells Gehazi, it is well. I believe that this woman knew in her heart, she recognized that there was absolutely nothing that Gehazi could do about her situation. There was absolutely nothing that he could do to help her through this trial. She needed to get to the man of God. She needed to get to where God's power and God's presence was, and she knew there was nothing that he could do for her situation. And so she was determined Though she could have paused and she could have unloaded upon Gehazi. I mean, she could have unloaded the wagon and shared with him all of her complaints. She could have stopped to complain. She could have stopped to mourn. She could have stopped to throw her burden upon Elisha's servant. If you will, she could have stopped to tell him how displeased she was. She could have shared her displeasure and her distrust and how upset she was and how sorrowful she was but she recognized it wouldn't do any good. It would only slow her down. 
She had determined in her heart that she would not complain. She would not share her displeasure with anybody except for the one person that could make a difference in her situation. Can I tell you tonight, you and I face trials. You and I face problems on a regular basis. But can you think with me for a moment? How much greater would our homes be? How much greater would our churches be? How much greater would our world be if we refused to go to anybody else with our complaints and we refused to share our displeasures when things happen that we may not like or things happen that we may not understand or things don't go the way that we think they ought to go rather than going off to everybody we know, rather than going to our friends, rather than going to our neighbors and just telling them, how unhappy we are and how displeased we are, what if instead we went directly to the one person who can do something about our situation? Our homes would be a lot different. Our churches would be a lot different. You see, what happens is so often you and I, when things don't go our way, when we're in a situation like she finds herself confused, not understanding why, we find somebody, anybody that'll listen to us And we unload. I mean, we spread our gossip. We spread our displeasure. We spread our sorrows and how upset we are. And there's not a thing that that person can do about our problems. Only the Lord can intervene in our lives. And what happens is so often we have allowed another brother, another sister in Christ to stumble, to fail in their walk with God, Because they were looking to us for faith. They were looking to us as an example. And we tell them how horrible things are. You know, this woman, not for one moment, stopped to say that. She said, it is well. She refused to complain. She refused to share her displeasure or her confusion about what was going on with Gehazi because he couldn't do anything. She was content. She was devoted. She was focused on getting to the one man who had power with God, who could do something about her situation. You know, it may be, and it's very possible that she recognized that had she unloaded on Gehazi, had she um, bore her burden upon him, he might have stumbled. His faith in God might have been compromised by what she said. After all, in the very next chapter, Gehazi's character is revealed, and we find out he's not the man that we thought he was. He falls. He stumbles. And so she was determined. If I can only get to the man of God, I'll be fine. That takes faith. That takes unwavering devotion. This was a godly woman. Essentially what she is doing is she is trusting in God and she is trusting in God's man to do for her and for her family and for her child what she could never do. You know, good parents recognize that there are things they'll never be able to do for their children. Only God can. I believe I'm here tonight because I had parents and grandparents that labored in prayer on my behalf. I thank God for that. And this woman, though her child is laying lifeless in the bed of this man of God, she knew if I can get to the presence of God, he can do for my child what I could never do. And so she seeks to get to him. In verse number uh, 27, the Bible says, And when she came to the man of God to the hill and caught him by the feet, 
Because Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath told me not. You notice the difference between her two reactions? When it was the servant of God, she said all things was well. When it was the servant of Elisha, when it was the man that couldn't do anything, when it was just another person, she said, It's all well. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to share my grievance. But as soon as she got to the one that could make a difference, as soon as she got, if you will, to the the presence of God. She fell on her knees. She grabbed his feet. She held on to him because she knew this is the one that can make a difference. Friend, if you and I, when the trials of our lives and the circumstances and the difficult times would just learn to get at the feet of Jesus, we would find that all things are well. And she her attitude is completely different. With Gehazi, he couldn't help. Everything is well. With Elisha, she knew this is the man that has power with God. And she grabs a hold of his feet. And he realizes, he recognizes that her soul is vexed within her. She, he recognizes that there's something going on. In verse 28, she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed after her. Again, what we find is Elisha had desired to send his servant on ahead, place his staff upon the lifeless body of this child. And this godly mother, this woman of faith, says to the servant of God, if you're not going with me, I'm not going anywhere. Basically, what she says is, I know that the body of my baby boy is back home. I know that he's back home, and that's probably where I need to be. But I will not, I cannot leave the presence of God. Unless the presence of God goes with me, I'm not moving. She recognized that that's where she needed to be. She recognized that it was the Lord that could help her. And though that child was back home, and she probably had a desire to be back home where that child was, she says to Elisha, unless you go, I'm staying in the presence of God. I'm staying where I know God's power and God's help is. And she refused to move until he would come with her. The Bible says at the end of verse 30, he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awake. You know, Gehazi again could do nothing. He did not have the power with God. In the next chapter, his character is revealed that he is not the man he ought to have been. He tells Elisha, the child is still not awake. In verse 32, Elisha was coming to the house, and behold, the child was dead and lay upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child, and put his mouth upon his mouth, and his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. What we find is Elisha comes on the scene, he goes into the room, he shuts the door, and he begins to pray. He begins to beseech God that God would give him power, that God would give him the ability to be able to help this woman that had such a great faith, that had such kindness and such devotion toward the Lord and toward his servants. And he prays and asks God, perhaps he reflected back on the time that his father in the faith, Elijah, had risen, allowed a child to rise from the dead. 
And he prays, and he's beseeching God on behalf of this Shunammite woman. And the Bible says, finally, in verse number 34, the flesh of the child waxed warm. Verse 35, he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her and when she was come in unto him, he said, take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Friend, can I tell you the beautiful picture that we see in this passage? is once again, God uses His man to show favor, to show kindness, to show blessings to this woman for her great faith. In the beginning, she was a godly woman. God rewarded her by making her a godly mother. And when that blessing was removed, her faith was unwavering. She didn't make any funeral arrangements. She had a hope in her heart that God was able to help her situation and immediately she lays the child on the bed of the man of God and seeks the presence of God. She was trusting in God to do for her child what she could never do. And now God has rewarded her a second time. God has shown her a second miracle in her life by raising her son back to life. And I can just picture it. Here this mother is, filled with love for her child. She comes to the doorway. The servant says, come, come, he's summoning you. And she gets to the doorway of where her lifeless child had laid. And as she peers into the door, she sees that chest rising as the lungs are filling with oxygen. She sees his eyes are awake. His eyes are open. And I would imagine that her heart is beating out of her chest. She's excited. She's grateful. She wants to embrace her baby boy. But notice what she does in verse number 37. The Bible says, as she went in, she fell at his feet. She bowed herself to the ground. And then she took up her son. What did she do? Even though she wanted to embrace her son, even though her heart was pounding, she wanted to go and just take him up in her arms. The Bible says that she fell at his feet first. She bowed herself to the ground first. What is she doing? She's showing her thankfulness to God. She's showing her gratitude to the Lord. She is showing her recognition that it was God who did something for me that I couldn't do for myself. She was worshiping. She was excited about what the Lord had done. And the Bible says then she takes up her son and she walks out. Friend, the message tonight, what I want you to see tonight is we find this woman. The Bible says she was a Shunammite woman. We don't even have her name recorded in the scriptures. The Bible simply says she is a Shunammite woman. But she was such a godly woman, a woman of faith, who had desire to take care of the man of God, who refused to speak ill against God's servant. She was a woman that refused to complain, refused to show displeasure with anybody, lest she cause somebody else to stumble. She recognized that everything is okay at the feet of Jesus. Everything is okay if I can get to Jesus. She was a mother that recognized that it was God who can do for her children what she could never do. What I'm saying to you tonight is if you want to look for a character in the Bible... As a great example, we find it in 2 Kings chapter number 4. And God showed her not one, but two miracles in her life because of her great faith. Friend, how many blessings do you and I miss out on 
because of our lack of faith. Let's bow for a word of prayer tonight.